Hello, I'm Tony Collins and this is the Rugby Reloaded podcast. My guest today is Carolyn Hitt, award-winning journalist, broadcaster, producer and rugby writer. Carolyn was the first woman to win the Welsh Sports Journalist of the Year award. In 2012, she published her first book, Wales Playing Red, Welsh Rugby in the Noughties. The title came from when she was the only woman in the press box for a rugby union international and she was told by her male counterparts, remember, Wales Playing Red. Most listeners to this podcast will also know her for being the presenter on The Rugby Codebreakers, the BBC Wales documentary on Welsh rugby union players who switched to play rugby league, which offered a fascinating and often moving insight into why so many Welsh players left South Wales to find a welcome in the north of England. So, welcome to the podcast, Carolyn. Thank you very much, Tony. It's great to see you again, albeit virtually. I think we were in a very nice town hall doing our interview for Codebreakers a few years ago, weren't we? I remember. That's right. And we were also in the, in the freezing cold George Hotel, if you remember as well. Yes. Yeah, now that was cold and a little bit spooky, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, apparently it's even spookier now. But fortunately, <laughs> to go completely off topic, the Rugby League is now in a partnership with Kirklees Council to convert the George Hotel into a national oh, rugby so league. Oh, yeah. so I hear. So, yeah, so Codebreakers, it was... At, I think the the general reception to Codebreakers has been phenomenal. Uh, it's been unique in the way that it's united uh, people in South Wales and people in the north of England. I think one of the reasons, though, why it was so powerful was because, not just for the testimony of the players and their, uh, and their families who, who spoke, but also because it seemed that you were on a personal journey of discovery as well. And I think that is one of the things that drove it forward. Um, was that the case? Oh, very much so, Tony. Um, I thought I knew a little bit about rugby history because I'd, you know, kind of been steeped in the union game. Um, and yet, as you say, I embarked on this journey and I discovered things I had no idea about and um, things that thrilled and delighted me, things that shocked and upset me. Um, and I, it was just such an education. And it, and I, I wanted to kind of take Welsh people on that journey to the north of England and and, and to follow in the, in the kind of stud marks of, of these guys who'd, who'd we kind of forgotten and, and um, you know, been almost abusive towards in many ways. And it was, so it, it was a real, real sense of discovery. And, um, and also just a wonderful experience of, of kind of reconnecting those communities. Um, the, the welcome we got in the North of England when we, we filmed in all those various clubs and you'd, you'd walk into um, a kind of trophy room and you'd see Welshmen and, you know, rugby shirts from, from their early clubs. And, and you just saw the kind of, all the hinterland of these people who'd left Wales and yet were still very much proud of their heritage up there. And their, their Welsh heritage was appreciated by, by um, English Rugby League, uh, the English Rugby League community. So it was just so moving. Um, no, uh, it was an incredible experience. You know, from your personal experience as a rugby fan growing up in Wales, what was the general attitude towards players who went north, obviously particularly in the, in the, in the 80s and 90s? Well, the, the language was one of defection. It was a bit like kind of Cold War terminology, disloyalty, traitors. Uh, I mean, it sounds absolutely ridiculous to think of it now. But, um, but particularly for me, because of the generation I am, I'm, I'm, I've just turned 52 this week. Um, so obviously, Jonathan, or Jiffy as he's affectionately known his parts, um, that was the huge moment in our youth for, for him to, to, to go north, for him to uh, switch codes, was just this kind of massive cultural moment in Wales. He was the Welsh captain. He was somebody who we adored because, he, you know, as, as you've described so beautifully in the programme, that the way he played was so special. Um, and so so for him to leave, I mean, I remember I was at university at the time and um, 
one of my best friends was uh, Bjorn, who was German. He'd come over to, to England to study and um, he didn't know hardly anything about Welsh rugby. But he still talks now. We were at a kind of college reunion and he said, uh, oh, I see you've been making this programme. I remember the Jonathan moment. <laughs> you know? So it, it was it was massive. And yet at the time, you know, we, we just weren't aware of of the context of the decisions that were being made. This is the personal context of a player like Jonathan, you know, as he says in the programme uh, that, that on the to the public he said it was about finding a new challenge and as he said in you know in typical kind of jiffy expression that was bullshit um I wanted to support my family um and also that the context of Welsh Rugby Union at the time it was it was in a, a pretty dark place because they weren't adapting to the kind of onslaught of unofficial professionalism that we saw in the southern hemisphere I remember Jonathan had come back from New Zealand and had addressed the Welsh Rugby Union and said look we've got to catch up we've got to do what these guys are doing down there and he wasn't listened to uh, and the kind of burden we put on a union player to carry the identity of Wales and everything that, that comes with it um, and yet not think of any kind of remuneration for that uh, that heavy responsibility so yeah it you look back on it now and you think, my God, we just didn't understand anything. And um, But it was painful because we lost then that kind of generation of that in the late 80s, early 90s. And, and Welsh Rugby Union didn't recover for a very long time. Yeah, absolutely. But it did mean there was also a great Welsh Rugby League team in the, in the 1990s. It's obviously some of the greatest players in, in Welsh history uh, that were playing for Wales. And uh, especially anybody who can remember the 1995 World Cup. And particularly the the match at the Vetch when uh, Wales played Samoa is one of the all time classics, which I think was actually repeated on um, Welsh TV not so long ago. It was, yeah. I mean, one of the one of the few joys of the lockdown has been that we've been kind of digging digging matches at the archive, and that was. And again, it was interesting to see the response to that because they showed a lot of the old classic rugby union matches that we're very familiar with. They put that on the television, and a new generation saw those players in a different light, you know, and uh, it, again, it was a kind of moment of discovery. It was interesting what was going on then, because I remember the semi-final when England played Wales of the 1995 Rugby League World Cup. Uh, it was at Old Trafford and there was, um, it was the biggest, must have been the biggest Welsh contingent at a Rugby League match that there'd ever been. It was at one point uh, when all the Welsh fans were singing, it was like being in Cardiff. And it was, uh, it was, it was interesting that, if Rugby Union hadn't turned professional later on that year, uh, or actually I think it was slightly be, marginally before, then what might have happened? Because you got a real sense that perhaps the Welsh Rugby League team were now the most important sports team in Wales for the fir- for the first time ever. That must have been a tipping point. And all you want as a fan is success, really, isn't it? And uh, and you know, and you had a relationship with these players, you know, the the because you'd seen them in Union. Um, and then interestingly, when the game does turn pro, you see them coming back. Um, and that that was a was an interesting time. And and I remember that kind of Welsh team of um, 99, the, the generation that Graham Henry kind of took by the scruff of the neck. Um, the union players, you always had that sense that he was kind of building up their confidence. Players who come back from league, people like Gibbs and Quinnell, they had that kind of steel that had been forged you know, on those kind of tough uh, playing fields in the north of England. And uh, and that really added something to the union game at point. And I remember particularly as well, um, Yeston Harris being unveiled by Glanmore Griffiths, you know, the great blazer <laughs> of this generation. I remember being at that, that press conference and he kind of intoned very somberly that this was payback 
for a hundred years of raids on our game. And I thought, oh gosh, that's a little bit dramatic, <laughs> you know. And uh, but it, you know, that was interesting to see Yestin Harris adapting, and he was thrown straight into Union, um, very much straight into the kind of international spotlight, probably too quickly. Um, but um, but it's fascinating because it does throw up. You know, the reason I'm interested in rugby, Tony, I've always said that I'm I'm a I'm a journalist who loves rugby rather than a rugby journalist, you know, because I do all sorts of other kinds of journalism. Um, But I love looking at Welsh rugby history because it opens up so much more about us as people. It opens up social history. It opens up um, the kind of hierarchies that exist. And um, even in a country that, you know, it hasn't got a class system Um, and and. All the, the that, those kind of shifts in the 80s and 90s uh, were just fascinating from that perspective. And and again, it, in terms of doing the program, reaching back right to the to the kind of to the, the depression or back to the, uh, the very roots of the game. Uh, again, you know, kind of threw a spotlight on the kind of society Wales was in terms of, um, in, you know, immigration to Wales, um, in terms of uh, poverty and how people dealt with it. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know. Sports never just sport, is it? Absolutely, and, and although obviously I'm a fan as well, the, the reason why I do such a lot of work on the history of rugby is is really because of what it tells us about society. If it's there, there are lots of people who can uh, talk much better than I can about what actually goes on on the pitch and what teams are trying to do. But I think in terms of just opening a window onto society wherever you happen to be, then uh, sport and particularly rugby because of its it's kind of rugby's much more visceral because of all the, the basically because of the split and everything that that opened up. Uh, wherever rugby of either code is played, I think rugby does uh, in a way that other sports don't do as sharply. Rugby does, you know, allow you to try understand a bit more about what's going on in society. Very much so. Yeah, I mean, going back to what you said, the intro. One of the great things about um, about the Codebreakers program was the fact that. One of the windows it opened up into Welsh society was the question of race and, uh, and and black Welsh players, and in a lot of ways that was you know one of the most moving things that um, that I've seen on a, on a sports documentary, because it was dealing not just with the emotions of you know winning losing or whatever, but with the emotions of people's lives and how they were treated, uh, and that was I mean that must have been again another fantastic journey to go on. It was incredible. And I remember particularly interviewing Terry Michael, um, such a lovely guy. And he'd said, he said, I've never really done an in-depth television interview. You know, he was kind of, I said, look, we'll literally just chat. Um, And he was totally natural in front of the camera. He was amazing. Um, And when he started to describe the pain he felt, I mean, he talked about his personal story as a young man saying, I was never going to play for Wales as a black boy growing up in Cardiff. Um, you know, which was a horrible thing to hear because, you know, I do think I think I thought my country was an inclusive place. And then he's describing the experiences he had. Uh, and then when he was saying that it's too late now for the to recognize for the, the, the boys that we talked about in the in the program, um, the Roy Francis, Johnny Freeman, Colin Dixon, Clive Sullivan. He says it's it's too late for them to know that we're we appreciate and what they achieved. And. And I was sitting at the other side, the other side of the camera, with tears kind of rolling down my face. You know, it was just, it was just the most. It was, it was just the most emotional experience. And um, I'd known about Billy Boston of, of that kind of um, because I've been involved with the Welsh Sports Hall of Fame for, for a long time. And 
Billy Boston was among the very first inductees to the role of honour. And he had come to every single dinner we held in Cardiff uh, and still does. And um, so I knew something of Billy's story. But but even then, you know, I'd never seen the footage. I thought, oh, my God, this is like Jonah Lomu, you know, years ahead, years ahead of it. Um, uh, I was just gobsmacked. And um, and I think that's the, the story more than anything within the whole kind of Code Breakers journey that, that really touched um, the Welsh public. And also has had, a, had an impact, has had a practical impact Um the first time the programme went out, Vaughan Gething, uh, who is our health minister at the moment, so as you can imagine, he's uh, he's pretty busy. Um, Vaughan is is a man of colour himself, and he'd been very much um, touched by the programme. And he said, you know, I want to do something about, about the legacy of these players. So for Black History Month that year, uh, he opened up the Senate, invited the the descendants and the family of the, of, of the players we featured, um, and... Gareth Davis was then the chairman of the Welsh Rugby Union. Uh, I did a, a little talk about the background of the programme. Gareth Davis gave a kind of union perspective. Um, and the players' families intermingled, told us their stories. Um, and he said, you know, I hope that's the start of something. And, you know, and, and as we've seen in recent weeks, there's the, the campaign now to, to get a permanent monument and to get the public involved to, to learn the stories and, and choose the place that they, they want to see kind of uh, memorialised. So, so I'm glad that I think, you know, hopefully something concrete has come out of it. And what I have to say, Tony, because I have taken all the credit for this programme because I've just been the front person, you know, is that the social media stuff has been amazing. And, and it was very, very much, as you know yourself, uh, the work of Alan Golding, the producer, and Tara Kali, the director, who actually, you know, and they they fought to get the programme made for a long time. You know, they were kind of banging on about it for, for several years within the, the commissioning process and did so much research. So, so all the credit lies with them, really. And yourself, because you, you were such a huge help in terms of consultancy and expertise. Oh, well, mine was a simple thing, I, but I'd agree with you on Alan and Tarek, because I first met Alan maybe almost 20 years ago when he did a radio documentary about players who came north. And he said, what I really want to do is a documentary on the black players who came north. And every and this must have been 2001, 2002, and every two or three years I'd get a phone call saying, I think we're almost there with this. <laughs> and you, you, know, you know what it's like when people are trying to commission TV, pro, trying to get TV programmes commissioned. So I've, I've got to pay a huge amount of respect to Alan and Tarek's tenacity and resilience to pursue this project for so long to get it on. And it, it just proves that it was worth it as well. Yeah. Very much so. Um, one of the things also, you were, you were the, um, you also proposed Roy Francis should be inducted into the Welsh Sports Hall of Fame. I did. Yeah. And um, at that point, the uh, a friend of mine who works for the, uh, for Sport Wales, the governing body here for uh, the kind of umbrella body for all sports got in touch. And he said, They'd been um, fascinated by his story from the coaching perspective. So I said one of the problems they have in, in Wales is getting enough uh, people from the BAME community into coaching. Um, and he said that we want to kind of use Roy Francis as our role model. We want to kind of build some multimedia around him and to, to inspire young people. Um, and then I said, I'd said to the Hall of Fame committee, look, we've got to get Roy Francis into the Hall of Fame this year. Uh, so uh, they invited his family along. His son came to do the um, help do the presentation, and and he had a chat with us on the night. Uh, and again, that was a special moment because 
that was a story I was really ashamed not to know, Tony, because as you said in the program, and I've never forgotten this, that, that if you look at the 20th century, the two giants of coaching are Carolyn James and Roy Francis. And I knew Carolyn James' story inside out. He was somebody I was kind of obsessed with. Um, and I think, well, why don't I know Roy Francis' story? You know, when he's had a big impact and there are so many parallels, you know, the, the, what makes a special coach is that those those special management skills, those, you know, the the awareness of what technology you can harness. Um, and I just thought, you know, there were such great parallel stories, and yet I only knew one of them. Not quite the same, but I was surprised when I talked to people from Wales that they didn't know Roy Francis because I grew up in Hull. Um, and so Roy Francis was just a well-known figure and, you know, the, he also kind of created a, another generation of coaches, as you, as you, you know, people like Johnny Whiteley and, and Colin Hunt in rugby league. And it seemed, it just seemed really strange that someone whose legacy went beyond a player and just lasted down the generations, you know, way beyond it, even after, after his death, was not known. Uh, and which a kind of, it's a condemnation of the relationship between two codes, I think, and that's the case. Yeah, it, it feels an almost deliberate amnesia, doesn't it? You know, it's as if we're kind of, you know, we, we've been, you know, we, we've been kind of denied our history in lots of ways. Um, and I'm hoping that the programme in some small ways has done something to, to tip the balance, but... Um, but it, it has been interesting. And I think, you know, we're lucky to live in a social media age as well, because every time the programme has gone out, and I think it's had, it's had four repeats. And, uh, you know, I think that's great as well, because, you know, these stories have taken a long time to build anyway. So so let's get them out there several times. Um, but every time they go out, you see somebody coming on social media saying, oh, I think my granddad went north we don't really know much about it you know could you put me in touch with somebody or whatever or someone else says I can't believe I didn't know this or you know what are we doing about getting these guys uh recognized and whatever so it's it's you know it's even though it it took far too long to make the program it's kind of hit at the right time in terms of of growing the legacy yeah, and I think to some extent it probably it, it may have been more difficult to make in an earlier stage. Anyway, I think it's now a generation has gone by since rugby union turned professional and the the old the old wall between the two codes came down. Then these things it's much easier to discuss these things because it, it is in the it, it's it's gone past the kind of emotional point. Yeah, very much so. Uh, yeah, at least within the games where where these things count too much. I mean. What's what's your having been involved in code breakers and looked at um, uh, you know looked at both sides of the rugby divide? What's your assessment of the state of the relationship between the two codes? I think now it's it's entirely amicable. I have to say that you know, I mean, you know, league is very much the little brother here, as you know. I mean, union dominates, and I think, and I think you know, there's there's a problem with union in that it's it's taken its place in Welsh life. For granted a bit, it's been a bit complacent. It's been interesting in terms of the younger generation in recent years. Um, the, the success of the football team, for example, at the Euros, you know, suddenly rugby was thinking, oh gosh, <laughs> we, you know, yeah, and you know, and if you go to different parts of Wales, they'll always, they'll always argue uh, which is the which is the dominant sport. Um, so I think there's a much healthier balance of oval and round ball now as well. But, you know, I'd, I'd like to think that Code Breakers kind of, um, for some people, sparked an interest in league that they didn't have before. Um, and, you know, they've looked to, to, to watch more games and, and find out the background of, of some of the players we've featured as well. And, 
and you know and appreciate the differences as well as well as the parallels i mean they fascinate me that you know that we we explored it in the game about because league was always a a more kind of commercial enterprise with paid for players that looked at ways of of ensuring the game was entertaining at all times you know and i don't think union had pressure you know it took Clive Rowlands and the 111 lineouts for the <laughs> for a rule change, didn't it? Back in 19, back in the 60s, um, and you know, I, I find that interesting that to see that the differences as well as as the the parallels. I, I think one of the things that is interesting and is a link is there's there's always been a, a preference in the north of England and in South Wales for open running rugby, going back way into the midst of time. Uh, when uh, Wales introduced the four three quarters system and opened the game up, and I think that's one of the, in a sense, that's one of the historic links between the two sports that has that has maintained itself through, despite the fact they're playing different a, a different set of rules. And in a lot of ways, that the one of the things that Codebreakers illustrated was that that link that originally existed before eighteen ninety five and the split, when there was a lot of backwards and forwards between teams coming up from South Wales coming north and teams from the north of England going to South Wales. That kind of link still still remains. And to some extent still remains today. The fact that rugby league is although it's a it's it's a much smaller sport and is not obviously one of the the big two. That rugby league still exists in Wales despite all the um despite all the advantages that Rugby Union has. So I thought Codebreakers was interesting in that, that it, it kind of demonstrated the way in which that original flame was still kept burning. And even today, I think, I mean, one of the great losses, obviously, and perhaps you might disagree with this as a Welsh Rugby Union fan, for Rugby League is that there's no longer the opportunity to get really top-notch players from Wales. Having said that, there are still players coming forward, like Regan Grace, who sent Helen's wing, who was absolutely fantastic and probably is the, the Welsh player in rugby league today who can bear comparison with some of those earlier stars. So it, it's interesting how that sporting and social link still it, it's still existent today. Yeah, cause we've always prided ourselves on, as you say, um, a certain type of Welsh rugby. Um, you know, you look at the kind of terminology around outside halves in Wales, always church or chapel <laughs> you know that was the old phrase wasn't it um where it's like mercurial and maverick you know we we love to, to um uh, you know, we very rom- much have romanticized this style of play throughout the decades and uh, you know and which is why um i think through the the gatland area where where Gandira, where he um capitalized on on a certain on, on the players he had at his disposal and they in the main they were kind of big forceful players like Jamie Roberts and and you had that slight disdain for what was called Warren Ball and I know Gatland hated that phrase himself and you know and that is all rooted in the, the kind of romance of the Welsh style of play and and um, what I loved when we, we were researching the programme was the uh, you know the idea that they were coming down to Wales specifically to find these kind of will-o'-the-wisp players or, or these mavericks or these mercurial players and uh, and you look at Someone like Di Watkins, who is tiny, isn't he? Um, you know, yeah, and a, a great friend of mine. Uh, and and he is one story that I I did know, know in advance of the story uh, of the program. Um, and I just loved the idea that we 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 were the place to come for that kind of player. Um, obviously, we didn't want to lose them, but um, but that that we valued flair and artistry and 
uh, charisma, you know, in the way we played. So um, as Jonathan kind of exemplifies. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say the same thing. I, mean, I think that's why Jonathan uh, was such a success because he was the embodiment of that. Just as, you know, 50 years earlier, Lewis Jones has been when he came to... Uh, when he came to play for Leeds. So there is, you're right, there is that, uh, there's a kind of characteristic, just as the, the fly half in Welsh Rugby Union is valued, the, the standoff in in Rugby League uh, is valued for exactly the same qualities as well. So I think that that is a link. Um, just kind of to, to wrap it up, more in general, do you think that the changes that have taken place in, in Rugby Union over the past 25 years, has that changed the place of Rugby Union in, in Welsh national life that as you said as you said earlier obviously the success of the football team has given rise to a kind of different sense of sporting nationalism do you think that perhaps the um the complacency that welsh rugby always had about rolling national life is is under threat somewhat i do in a way because i think you know you just see these huge generational shifts and they're quicker than ever now in terms of technology and and, and the digital world and and if you're Growing up in Wales now, you might live in a household where your mum and dad hasn't taken out the uh, subscription to Premier Sport to see the Welsh regions week in, week out, you know, and hopefully with crowds back at some point. And you might be growing up in a household where I'm, I'm involved, for example, with the Welsh Rugby Charitable Trust. I look at, um, we have severely injured players who we support and and I think, you know, if I had a, a young boy or girl now, would I want them to play the game? It's, it's you know, I think uh, the, the, the physicality of union has been kind of champion more than flair in, in recent times. So there are all sorts of cultural changes and and just just in terms of access as well. It's it's a much more complicated world than, than say, I grew up in, in terms of, of living rugby. And yet, you know, it only takes one grand slam to get the whole country in hysterics again but but again as graham henry used to say uh quite often the the, the trouble with you welsh he said you're 80 minute patriots you know you're, you're wrapped up in the the drama and the color of the six nations and the you know the kind of the huge um spectacle of, of those moments and yet it's the day-to-day week-to-week support of your of your local club the infrastructure that builds to the regions and all of that and particularly at the moment, you know, and this is true of, of sport across the UK and, well, across the world, I suppose, we are in a pretty dire position financially, I think. And it's, it's very worrying for the future of the sport. But it does, feel, it does feel a bit bleak. I mean, the flip side of it is, I think, as we're seeing in, in many aspects of life, is that the coronavirus crisis and the lockdown has brought us to a standstill and made us look at what we do wrong, what we do right in all, in all elements of how we live our lives, how we drive the economy, how the kind of jobs we do. And you think rugby's got an opportunity here to, to look at itself and see, you know, what is the best way forward? Um, how do you balance the, the economics of a game where, where it can kind of become embroiled in a Faustian pack but lose the soul for the, for the, the normal fan? Um, you know, how do you balance the fact that they, they need money so they need to be on pay-per-view but a lot of people might not see the game and they might not grow up with it in a household um, where children might want to play it. So there, there's all these kind of dilemmas at the moment, but but I do think we have a an opportunity to really look at where we want to go because, you know, it's not often that the whole world is brought to a standstill by something and it just give you, gives you a chance to 
to rethink and, and you know it's a bit of a hackneyed phrase already but build back better yeah i think i think you're right i think it's it's a, it's a chance to 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 reset rethink and recharge about what the game has been doing both union and league over the past 25 30 years yeah so on that thoughtful note can, can i make just one more point tony yeah just because it's, it's it's literally it's literally just come to me there was there was one great response on social media to the sense of the campaign of of um, memorializing and celebrating the legacy of our of our place of color and somebody said yeah well let's let's not look at just look at the past of that let's look at the future and look at the diversity of Welsh rugby now and and look at getting players of color into the game now at the level that they should be you know uh, to to reflect fully the kind of diversity of the society we have in Wales um and i think if that was to happen, that you know, that that would be the the most fantastic legacy we we could have. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think those those guys who you know blaze that trail from the from the nineteen thirties, they would be honoured and no doubt pleased to find that what they had to suffer in the past is no longer suffered by the, the generations that went after them. So yeah, so on that on that positive note and hopeful note, I'll wrap up. So. Thanks very much, Karen. It's been fantastic to have you on. For listeners, if you want to follow Carolyn on Twitter, her handle is at Carolyn underscore hit, and you can read her columns via walesonline.co.uk. And as I'm sure you know, my Twitter handle is at Collins Tony, and my website is www.rugbyreloaded.com, where you can find the complete archive of episodes about the history of rugby and the other football codes, along with the links and show notes for this episode. So until next week, thanks for listening.